Hello and welcome to This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into opportunity. Please follow us on social media and rate the podcast as it helps others to find us. I hope you enjoy the show. It's hard running a small business and it's harder running a small business that takes its environmental and social responsibility seriously. And it's super hard then auditing that effort and publishing it for everyone to see. Well, Kokako Coffee recently published its fourth sustainability report presenting a warts and all analysis of its performance. As a small privately owned business, it doesn't have to do that, but then that's not how Kokako rolls. So to explain the joys of coffee and the pains of reporting, I'm joined by Kokako founder Mike Murphy and report author, right, and calling you the author, Nick <laughs> Morrison of Go Well Consulting. Thanks for joining me, guys. Thanks, Vincent. Nice to be here. Kia ora, Vincent. Good to be here. You, know, you read the instructions. You were overwhelmed and excited about being on the show. Absolutely. We've dreamed of this <laughs> <laughs> since you started doing this podcast, Vincent. Excellent. Well, I'm pleased to hear that. In your intro to the report, Mike, you described 2021 like driving down the motorway with the brake on. Yeah. That sounds like a, a tough a tough few years for yeah, you. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, as most people would be aware, hospitality was one of the big casualties of covid and um, we, yeah, we probably lost about ninety percent of our revenue almost overnight. Nine o, nine o, yeah. So it was it was tough, and um, I don't like to use the word pivot anymore. Um, I always <laughs> found it difficult to use that word, but yeah, I suppose writing the report was a moment of reflection, looking back at how we got through that period, and how we stayed resilient, which is another word that is probably overused at the moment. Mm, mm. It's very tempting to talk about how you got out of it, but we really want to talk about the report. Maybe just give us a really quick, can you do a quick, like how did you get through that briefly? Well, like most businesses in New Zealand, we were fortunate to you know, have government support. And if we didn't have that, we would have been in a bit of trouble. I think as well, we did really diversify our revenue. So we, our online sales took off. Uh, our commercial bay coffee bar staff became courier drivers, driving around Auckland, <laughs> dropping off you know coffee for consumers, and we just pushed on. Uh, we innovated. We um, invested in our staff. We did additional training that we couldn't have done if it was business as usual. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have come out the other side, which is you know after 22 years of of having this of this brand being around and 16 years in my ownership, I'm very proud of that. Mm. So writing the report in some ways might have been a bit therapeutic. (laughs) (laughs) Don't know if you'd use that word, Mike, would you? (laughs) Uh, Reflective is probably more Mm -hmm. the way I'd look at it. You look Mm -hmm. back and go, oh, well, we said we were going to do that and we actually did it. Mm. Um, You know, part of that diversification strategy out of COVID was starting a new brand with uh, our Everybird brand, which is in grocery and supermarkets and look back and you know that we started that a year ago and that was part of the writing the report that we said we were going to do this yeah. because we were too exposed in hospitality if we ever went into a lockdown again. Mm. So yeah, very proud of, of looking back and seeing what we achieved in that regard. Yeah. Nick, writing a report like that is quite an effort. I mean, it's, there's mm. a genuine cost there. You have to employ a fancy consultant for a start. <laughs> um, Mike doesn't have to do that. Mm. Uh, why... Why, you know, why would he do it um, and, and why would businesses go to the trouble of documenting their sustainability strategy yeah. and performance? I guess I'll start by saying I think Mike and Kokako are pretty um, special 
um, business. I think Mike leads that business in a really incredible way. Um, I think it's pretty well documented and pretty well recognised, especially within the coffee industry and especially within sustainability circles. And I think probably a bit more wider within New Zealand business that Kokako go above and beyond. And you know that's driven by by Mike. So I think that's a big factor. Um, there is a lot of benefit to it, you know, like Mike was just talking there about the reflective piece and, you know, a lot of work that we do, yes, we do the reporting, we also do strategy writing and stakeholder engagement stuff and a lot of it is about getting businesses just to pause and go, look, there's a lot of tough stuff going on at the moment, mm. um, climate changing, you know, the cost of living crisis, AI, all these big things, just take a moment, just reflect what are you going to do about it, how's it impacting your business and have some conversations with people in your network about what they're doing. Mm. We're all in this together, you know, and just try and sort of, yeah, have those conversations, have that reflective time, I think is really valuable as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, I could list a whole lot of, you know, sort of sales pitches of why to report, but there, there are lots of good good, good, uh, good reasons, you know, engaging staff, um, bringing your um, stakeholders along that journey with you, um, promoting your brand, telling your full story in one go. Um, yeah, so a lot of good reasons, and I think Mike understands that, and I think Kokako probably get a little bit of sadistic enjoyment out of it as well. <laughs> I don't know about – I don't even know what sadistic means, but um, <laughs> enjoyment – I think we get enjoyment at the end when we're finished and mm -hmm. you see the completed project is all designed – and it's a PDF and it's shareable and clickable and you can look through and look at nice pictures and diagrams yeah. and things and you pull out what you want um, as a reader. Um, that's probably where you get yeah. the most enjoyment when it's done. Um, otherwise, it's a little bit like being back at university and doing a thesis. <laughs> um, it's quite out there. I mean, you actually, it really is warts and all. You've identified your strategic goals. You've given yourself, did we, you know, smiley face, unhappy face for yeah. things that have underperformed. What are the, some of the highlights and lowlights for you out of the, you know, what have you discovered? Yeah, I mean, I suppose it definitely shows you how far you've come, like I mentioned before. So looking at, you know, that professional development piece for the team, starting that new brand to diversify revenue mm -hmm. really is really great. Um, continuing to track our carbon emissions and being open and transparent about that. Um, but also the warts and all approach of going, well, we made some dumb decisions too. You know, we, we purchased vehicles in, in that two-year reporting period that, in hindsight, we shouldn't have done. You know, we couldn't afford EVs, but um, we didn't look at, you know, um, perhaps the emission profile of that of, of those two vehicles when we purchased right. them. Right, the mighty Commodore. The Commodore, yeah, which is like, <laughs> what were we thinking? And, and, and Yaris, which is not as eco as you'd expect, huh? which we've now um, sold and we're going to be selling the Commodore too. But, you know, you've got to be realistic and these reports are not about perfection mm -hmm. and Nick taught me that from the start. Mm. It's um, You've got to explain, as you say, your strategic goals how you're tracking, what you've achieved, look at those benchmarks, and then you've got to reevaluate them based on the current economic climate yeah. or your current financial position. Um, and you've got to absolutely explain what you didn't achieve. Mm. What else mm. in the report has kind of surprised you or you know, was a discovery? Um, I think probably, probably really just that we keep moving forward despite the things that are getting thrown at us. So... We look back at that COVID period and go, how did we get through? And you, by looking at the report, you realise how we got through. Mm. And we actually did eventually start to grow and grow revenue again outside of, you know, as we pulled out of COVID. Mm. Um, 
we were finally able to open our Commercial Bay Coffee Bar in June 2020, which has now been trading for almost three years. And we've started to, you know, really hit our stride there. Mm. So, um, and just that, the, the development of the team has been fantastic as well. And just looking at things like, you know, three or four years ago, we were probably very male skewed in our organisation. And now we're, I think, around the 65% female skew mark, which is, you know, really empowering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was an objective that you set. It was something we identified several years ago that yeah. we could do better. And again, that's sort of one of the benefits of doing this kind of report, right? You've set yourself some strategic objectives and then you can't just bury it because everyone's reading the report exactly. in two years' time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things that struck me when I was looking at it was a, a massive jump in your uh, carbon emissions, possibly a reporting thing. What was what was going on there? I have to talk to Mike about that. I mean, the, the, they map the emissions independent of us. Yeah, it wasn't actually um, a reporting error. It was more that the Fair Climate Fund, which is part of Fair Trade based in the Netherlands, they oversee how you report your carbon emissions. And they got an independent company to review the reporting methodology. And what they determined is that there is a lot more emissions produced in the supply chain at origin than they had originally uh expected. Okay. And so what it meant is when you look at the report and you see actually I think almost 80% of the emissions um, are kind of at the start of the supply chain rather than you'd expect it to be in the roasting and the couriers and things like that. Mm. A lot of it is front-ended and so what it's meant is that um, the the amount of um, money that we're spending on carbon offsets has increased um, because they're taking more of a real world view of how to track those Carbon. That's that, pretty interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you'd think that growing a crop would be actually a, um, a, a kind of a carbon positive thing to do. Yeah. But where, where, what's the, where are the emissions in that? Uh, I mean, well, the good thing about organic is that um, there's no, you know, um, synthetic fertilisers or anything. Mm-hmm. I think that what they've done, and, and we sort of we've pushed them a little bit on it, is they've taken a bit of a broad brush approach to it. Um, and so we're really we're really pushing back a little bit and testing to say, hey, we are buying 100% organic, 100% fair trade coffee, and we've been on the ground in Papua New Guinea and other origins, and we've actually seen that it is quite low carbon. But of course, then you've got you know the diesel Land Cruisers that you need to transport the the coffee back down to um, the processing mm. um, and the export area. Um, you've got the hulling and the and the processing of the coffee. Um, there and then you've got to ship it to New Zealand as well. Yeah. So I, I suppose what they've done is they've taken a bit more of a realistic overview of exactly what happens at origin. Right. The other one that stood out for me is that you're roasting. Uh, at the moment, you're limited to uh, effectively a gas-powered roasters, right? That's yeah. the industry standard. Is yeah. that about to change? Are you about is. to do a Glenbrook and go electric? Oh, that's very topical, Vincent. Um, <laughs> we had our the New Zealand Specialty Coffee Association, of which we remember we had our AGM last Friday, and we have been working with ECA, which you'll be aware is you know mm-hmm. a government organisation, on the de- on a decarbonisation pathway for our industry, which is very exciting because we recognise all the stakeholders in the industry recognise that we have to decarbonise. Um, there is new technology coming. Um, we've got a German roaster called a Probat and they have started building electric and hydrogen-powered roasters, which is really exciting, Mm. but they're only really at the 12 kilo mark as far as 12 kilo capacity goes. 
So change is what, coming. What, what do you do? We have a 25 kilo roaster. Mm-hmm. So we we kind of wouldn't want to step back and we'd rather wait until the technology caught up, which we expect to be soon, and then plan any future capex around you know, reinvesting in clean energy and, yeah. and clean roasting technology. Yeah. Nick, we, did we still talk about triple bottom line accounting? Um, some people do. It's 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 a bit of a um, there's a lot of different terms out there. I guess sustainability mm-hmm. for me covers it all, mm-hmm. but uh, depends who your audience is a little bit. If you're talking to the bigger corporates, they call it ESG, environmental social governance, right? And that's very much their term. Um, yeah, others call it triple bottom line. Others call it sustainability. Um, we're all if all these terms are talking about considering the entire impacts of a business, not just how much money it makes. There's a lot of vagueness in this language around sustainability, regenerative, mm-hmm. organic at least we know has some definition around mm-hmm. you know, there are standards. Are, are there reporting standards that you can rely on that speak a universal language that are kind of going to be recognised internationally and, and within the profession? Yeah, absolutely. So the reports that we do... Um, Kokako's reports too, and, and all the reports that we do at Go Well, or at least the sustainability reports, are to um, the Global Reporting Initiative Standards, or GRI, mm-hmm. and they are kind of globally recognised as probably the most um, robust um, framework. And it, it's a really good framework. Like, I, I am biased here, I'm trained in it, so obviously, and we, that's what we use, so I'll, I'll declare that. But they've done an incredibly good job of designing a process to um, get a business to talk to its stakeholders first then identify its major impacts and, and its material topics, and then you report on those material topics. And the way that GRI kind of does it too is there's basically two halves. The first half of, of, of a report is what they call your general disclosures. So every business has to answer the same question. So where are you located? How big are you? What is it that you do? What are the markets you serve, et cetera, et cetera? Mm-hmm. Um, and they also, sorry, also they go quite a lot into the governance side of things, so who's making the decisions, et cetera, which I think is really important. And then the second half of the report is what are your material topics? So for something like a coffee industry, so your supply chain, carbon emissions, water are some obvious ones that jump out. Mm-hmm. And then you go into their library of disclosures and you pull out the water disclosure and it asks specifically how much water are you using in your business? How much are you withdrawing? How much are you discharging? Mm. How much are you recycling or recirculating? So it gets really specific. Once you've identified those material topics, it's basically saying, right, you've identified this as a major impact you're having and it's important to your stakeholders now tell us the impact you're having. Um, and so that's a big part of the, of, of the, I guess, appeal of, of GRI as it is, yeah, as a good framework. Does that allow you to benchmark yourself exactly. against sort of like like for like businesses, exactly what it does, and so you know, someone like Kokako have done they've done four reports, three of them to this GRI standard. They can go back and compare year on year, mm. and they can also compare themselves to other coffee businesses, and so they can go on and see, okay, this let's just say Nescafe for a crude example, they're this much bigger. This is their size. I've answered the same dis- general disclosures that first half of the report, and you can get a sense of the context of them versus a Kokako, and then you can look at their water usage versus Kakako's water, mm-hmm. water usage. So there's that. And, and the word comparability is one of the key principles of the GRI right. reporting framework. How m- much of the food industry, food and beverage industry, has adopted GRI or similar kind of standards? Um, 
Good question. I don't know is the short answer. I mean, in coffee, Mike and Kokaka have kind of set a bit of a, um, a trend and um, like we've done, I think, four coffee brands now and Kokaka were the first. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just kind of needed someone to kind of, guess, lead the way a little bit mm-hmm. and um, others have then realised that's a good good thing to do and, and, and have done that as well. Um and other, you know, more broadly, food and beverage. I, you know, some of the bigger, um, I know, like I know, Lion, um, as in, you know, formerly Lion Nathan, they um, report. Um, yeah, so some of those bigger ones are. Um, I guess there's a real challenge, as you said right at the start, for smaller businesses, the like of the likes of um, Kokako. And and go right back to how you introduced me. Yes, I, I'll claim as being one of the authors, but Mike did a huge amount of the of the of the writing of that mm. report as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it does take time and extra resource for those businesses to do it, whereas some of the bigger ones, Lion, for example, have got sustainability teams or sure. m- yeah, you know, yeah, multiple yeah. people. Help. But you would think that as an industry tries to um, deal with the reality of climate change, this kind of reporting, these kind of standards, this this kind of concentrated effort, I mean, if you could do that off the back of a 90% loss of revenue, mm-hmm. Other companies must be able to do this, right? As, an, think, in, as an industry, as a food and beverage industry, you'd think so. I mean, it, it also comes back to your commitment to the cause. Um, as Nick mentioned, you know, we don't have a sustainability manager, so it kind of comes back to myself and a couple of other key team members to to write the report. And often it's outside of business hours because you've got business as usual and you've got to get on and sell stuff and mm. operate the business. And so you're doing it at night and in the weekend. And that's really the only way you can push through. But um, I think coming back to your, your question to Nick around, you know, the triple bottom line reporting, if you don't mind, I might just comment on that. Yeah. I think we sort of, we, all, we do need a realignment of what, what does a truly successful business look like and, and what are the metrics that mm. de- define that? Mm-hmm. Because traditionally it's always been EBITDA multiple and it's always been, okay, what's their revenue? What's their EBITDA? Um, how successful are they? Mm. And I think that's, that's a wrong way to look at it. If you were to compare our EBITDA with some other roasters in the, in, in the sector, it may be lower but our overall impact is more positive mm. because we're spending, you know, over two years, our, our contribution just in fair trade premiums, um, license fees and organic premiums is, is just shy of $272,000 New Zealand. So, you know, we're, we're choosing to allocate our, um, our investment and our commitment and procurement in other areas and that obviously affects the financial metrics mm. of the business. Well, okay, well, I'm a shareholder, I'm an investor mm. uh, or a potential shareholder. Convince me that this effort in sustainability reporting actually is a good idea from from a traditional shareholder's point of view, which is typically a financial return, right? Yeah, Um well, if you were an investor, you may be a little bit more progressive and open-minded, Vincent. But um, <laughs> that's why I'm poor. To, to be to be fair, I do have shareholders that they're there, you know, on our board to challenge me, and some of them um, they don't always see the value in it. And my job is to show them that actually there is a value in doing these reports. There's a cost in doing these mm-hmm. reports. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's there's hidden costs as well that you don't see. So there's the time that it takes to write the report. There's the investment in, in um, Nick's business and go well to help to put 
the report together. Mm. There's the design element. There's photography. There's a lot that goes into it. But again, it's where do you where do you see the value? Mm. And and if our shareholders can see the value in that, and they can see that it's actually improving us and it's putting us in a leadership position, then I think that's okay. Mm. And if I can jump in too, Vincent, yeah. for me being the sustainability consultant, won't surprise you, I've got a, a view on this. Look, the world is changing, right? Like we're in this um, absolute <laughs> shitstorm, if I can say that, um, because of how business has been done for the past, what, five, six decades or so, right? And it's just not sustainable to keep on um, running businesses with the mindset of just profit or costs, right? Just don't worry about who you're exploiting or don't worry if... Is slavery in your supply chain, just think about the profit margin or don't worry about the emissions that you're putting into the atmosphere or the plastics you're putting into our food chain, just worry about your, your profit. Like it's just, we can't keep doing that, right? So there's there's a massive movement that I'm late to join. Um, Mike was a leader well before me, but, uh, you know, to, to change how business is done and, and to what Mike said, you know, it's about uh, um, re, re, I guess, setting the bar of what a successful business looks like. And I think more and more people are becoming aware of that, right, and are waking up to the kind of daylight robbery that's been happening for, for, for um, decades. And that robbery is against the atmosphere. Mm. It's against and, our futures as well, right? It's against our, our living, our quality of living. Like there's plastic in our food now because of how we've mismanaged that material, right? And that, that's shocking. Or, or this, you know, the stats around... Um, um, unborn children being found with, with plastic in their placentas. Like, that's the world that we're bringing people into today. And, and for a lot of us, that's just not acceptable. That's mm. just not okay. And so we're doing all we can to um, to change and to get people to understand that they can um, support that change. You know, buy Kokaka coffee rather than some other brand that's not aware of where its coffee comes from or not doing the, the, the you know, taking the steps that a Kokaka mm. is. So, yeah, and bringing it back to the reporting, I think it's a really great opportunity for um, businesses that do to report to put that out there. And I want to come back to one of the points Mike said, because it's also really, it's one of the principles of the GRI framework is balance. This is not a marketing document, although lots of the marketers do, and often we just have to have those conversations with businesses that we're helping report that just this this is about reporting on your impacts and, and you as a, as a whole, not, it's mm. not just a marketing document. But balance is one of the key principles, and so talk about the stuff you, you're doing well, absolutely, it's things to be proud of here, but also be really honest about the things that you want to improve on or you're not doing so well, because this is hard. How we transition, like we've inherited this economic system that is linear, that is degenerative, that is powered by fossil fuels, right? And there's been a lot of benefit from that, but we we have to acknowledge, but it's just not sustainable. So how we transform out of what we've inherited into one that that is sustainable and that actually operates in harmony with the, the real world, as we were talking before we came on here, Vincent, but mm. is, is really, really challenging. So I think it's important that businesses take, you know, the, the, the approach that Kokako have and being like, look, this is what we're trying to do. These are our values and our purpose and, and these are the steps we're taking but some of these things are really hard and yes, we got these, we purchased these cars that we're not so proud of but these are the reasons why, you know, and, and just be really honest. So and it's a learning document for others as well as for yourself. Yeah, I really hope that it inspires others, you know, and it helps other business owners and businesses go, oh, it's not all that easy. Kokako aren't just, just amazing, you know, just by, I don't know, luck it's a lot of hard work mm. to get there and so it's, it's my hope that the, there's this reporting that more and more businesses are doing inspires others to go 
okay, it is really hard to bring your emissions down. And they've done all they can around here, but they're mm. stuck on their roaster mm. until they get um, until they get new technology. And and you know, people can have different opinions on that. That's fine. But as long as you're just like, well, this is the decision we've made. These are the these are the factors that we're having to weigh up, and this is the decision we've made, and we're standing by it. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. There's another element here, isn't there, around your license to operate, your social license to operate, is going to get harder if you're not able to demonstrate. Mm. Well, how are we relying on externalities to run our business? Uh, that that stream that's behind our factory that's full of the crap we're putting into it. I'm not saying you have a stream full of crap. <laughs> Thankfully, but, we don't. <laughs> but exposing that is a way of putting businesses out of business, isn't it? Mm. So um, part of the incentive must be around earning your right to stay in business with regulators, with your customers, with the public, with your neighbours. Yeah, I think consumers expect a high degree of transparency now from business. But I also think that it's really important that business is not seen as the bad, the bad guys. Mm. Um Businesses are really important in, in this ecosystem that we have. You know, they provide um, employment. You know, I'm very proud of the fact we employ 23 people. And over, if I look back over the 16 years that I've owned the business, we've probably em- employed about 450 people. And they've all gone on and done bigger and better things. Some of them have gone on to run their own businesses, and I'm, I'm very proud of that. Mm. So I think you've got to look at what is the, the benefit of the business that you're providing, but also... Um, be open and transparent through the reporting process and not just through the reporting process. We take snippets of what we do and we put it on social media as well because we know that not everyone wants to sit down with a cup of tea and, and watch, and sorry, and read a 60 page Surely they're report. sitting down with a cup of coffee. You know, so it depends on the time of day. Yeah, they might be doing it at night. They might need a peppermint tea, Vincent. <laughs> Let's finish by talking about the impact on the growers because um, – I think one of the reasons that you buy into fair trade coffee and buy into organics is because you really actually want to see that that four fifty or how much is it for a Kokako coffee these days? Uh, yeah, it depends on where you're buying it from, but you'd be looking at around the five dollar mark. Okay, well, let, I'd like to see some of that go back to people in PNG um, who are not living the kind of lifestyle that I live. And I'm hoping that there's a benefit to that. Can you tell us about what the impact is? Yeah, so there's lots of different considerations there. There's geopolitical um, considerations, there's cultural considerations. One of the things that always strikes me when I go to Papua New Guinea is the fact that it's a very different way of living. If you're living up in the highlands, you know, you don't have the electricity, um, often on generators, um, and it's a village um, lifestyle, you've got small plots where the coffee farmers are part of a cooperative and that's the benefit of being part of a fair trade cooperative is that you've got democratically elected people who make those decisions on where those premiums are spent. So when we go to Papua New Guinea and we started going I think around 2014, 2015 and I've got a staff member heading up in three weeks um, to go back and, and, and do more work on the ground. What we want to do is not just accept that that fair trade mark that is on our bag, um, our coffee bag, is legit. We want to go and validate the core proposition of fair trade. So we want to see the schools that have been built, we want to see the infrastructure improvements that have been made, um, and we want to validate that that fair trade premium and the organic premium has been spent on the right things. Mm. And so by going and being on the ground and have to thank fair trade for allowing us to be able to do that, um, it really helps 
to really connect the the producer with the consumer, which is one of the core propositions of what we do. Yeah. And it's also allowed us to have a relationship with three generations of coffee farmers in Papua New Guinea in the Eastern Highlands, which I'm very, very proud of. From Papa Kine through to his son Daniel Kine through to his nephew Mitchell, um, we've hosted two of them here in New Zealand. And, and that is a true partnership mm. where we understand what their needs are and we provide long time, uh, long-term support to those organisations and the, those co-ops. Well, what's the, the uh, material impact on that community, on that village? What are what are they able to do as a result? It's generally the living standards and it, it, it comes back to things that we take for granted. Um, so often the things that we see are, we expect, uh, when Mitchell came over um, just before COVID, um, he'd never been to New Zealand and one of the things he said to me which we take for granted, as he said, I can't believe there's a tap there and I can turn it on and I can get water. <laughs> you know, so it's um, plumbing and irrigation and getting um, one water tap to one little village. We wouldn't even think about it, mm. but that's a massive life improvement mm. in Papua New Guinea. And that's able to happen because of the earnings. Through the premiums, through the, fair through trade premiums, premiums. Yeah. correct. Yeah. yeah, or even just the infrastructure. Often these are really muddy, boggy tracks and getting the product, getting the, the, the beans once they've been harvested down um, into Garoka where they're actually processed is really difficult. So a lot of investment has also gone onto the roading. Can I just jump on that, Vincent? I yeah. just want to raise the point. It's probably worth another podcast another day and you've probably talked about it, I'm sure, but the decommodification of of. Um, coffee or, or products more generally. It's something I learned a lot, especially the first report I did with Kokako, is a lot of people just think coffee's coffee, right? But when you hear these stories and you learn about the people making it and the human beings and all the peoples that have that have touched this coffee before you've drunk it, mm. you know, it's it's vastly different between what Mike and Kokako are doing and that kind of relationship they've got with one of their growers versus just, oh, this coffee came from, I don't know, somewhere else in, in the world overseas, I don't know, you know, but there's human beings again there, as you've been sort of alluding to, like what is the material impact on their their lives? And mm. and again, there's a lot of the stuff in, in the reports and, and encourage everyone to go and read them. But part of, again, report writing, you have to set context around not just the business, but also the industry. And there's some terrible stuff going on around the world from from coffee. And it's pretty well known. I think, you know, Fair Trade was, would correct me if I'm right, Mike, but I think they started with coffee, did they? Co- coffee or cocoa maybe? Because there's a lot of, um, you know, human rights violations in, in those industries. Mm. And so for people out there thinking, you know, what can I do and, and et cetera, et cetera, try and buy and support brands like Kokako, who are telling you where this coffee comes from and showing you and showing you the impacts it's having on the yeah. on the people who are growing it rather than just something that comes out of a, a pod. I mean, there's a, there's a metaphor, a lesson there for almost all of New Zealand's food and beverage producers, right, is this emotional connection mm. to whenua, to whanau, mm. and all the people in between who have touched this product, whether it's beef, whether mm. it's mm. Uh, coffee, whether it's berries, there's there's the opportunity, mm, isn't it, for mm. New Zealand food and produce is mm. to have this value chain mm. that values all the steps along the mm. way and, and creates an emotional con- connection for consumers. 100% right. I think New Zealand, I sort of said it right at the start about Mike and Kokako being a, a real leader 
and I think the whole of New Zealand's kind of agriculture sector could to take some lessons right from exactly how to do that, how to tell that story, how to connect their customers with with where their products come from. And let's be honest, a lot of New Zealand food and beverage businesses are doing that, mm. and they do we do tell some really great stories. But um, it could be done a whole lot better, I think. Yeah. yeah. Lovely talking to you guys. Thanks for your time. I'm sure there's lots more we could talk about, but we better leave it there. Thank you very much. Thanks for the opportunity. This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into opportunity. Please follow us on social media and rate the podcast as it helps others to find us. 